This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Radio Show, which can be heard on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne and Skid Row in Sydney. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut Babette. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and pay tribute to the decades-long legacy of Aboriginal fights for land rights and against the destructive mining projects that are fueling climate change. In particular, we acknowledge the Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodians and their ongoing opposition to coal mining on their lands in central Queensland and to the Gomorrah traditional custodians continuing opposition to coal and gas on their land in New South Wales. It is vital at this late stage in history that we all learn to care for country. It will always be Aboriginal land and now is our time to all stand up for and protect it. Today the whole show is about shareholder action against Whitehaven Coal. There's a new coalition of groups under the banner of Move Beyond Coal. Some of the groups united behind this banner are the South Asian Climate Solidarity Group, SAPNA, 350 Pacific, Doctors for the Environment, School Strike for Climate, Lock the Gate Alliance, Pacific Climate Warriors, Green Left, the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change and The Sum of Us, plus many more. We'll hear Chris from the School Strikers, Fahima from ARC and Bubbly from the Gomoroi people and then Manjot from Sapna. Now I imagine most of the shareholders going into that meeting in Sydney are dazzled by the windfall profits they've had this year. But Manjot tells us about the fallout from their coal business as extreme heat waves kill people in India. Bubbly tells us what the Gomoroi lands look like now when the mining leaves its vast empty holes. No windfall profits for them. In the time that we were driving home for holidays at the end of the year, we've we seen the change in our country. You know, there are dust plumes from Bogabrida Ganada Gunnedah all the way to Narrabri now from the mines that are there. You know, they don't really care about the, the land and, and that's a problem. I mean, if you drive from Singleton all the way up there, it's just uh, one big hole in the ground. If you go on a plane, you know, it's just heartbreaking to see that. You know, and the first time we seen it, I used to drive at night, I went in the daytime, you know, we cried. My wife and children in the car because of what we've seen. You know, it affects people, our people in that way. You know, with your spiritual connection that you have to country, you know, it, it affects you on a different level to other people. We don't talk about the economics of it or, let's say, obviously we're talking about our grandchildren, grandchildren, grandchildren. How are they going to be able to maintain their culture on country if it's just one beacon hole? You know, and Whitehaven are complicit within that, in everything that they do and say against Aboriginal people. 
you know, and especially us Gumroy people, you know. But So on the street and inside the AGM, ordinary people were urging Whitehaven to wind up their new coal projects. At the end of the day, market forces sent us a message that 20% of the shareholders had proposed that Whitehaven Coal should manage down its mines and use the windfall profits to help workers transition to new jobs. Our last speaker, therefore, will be Pablo from Market Forces to explain how this happened. My name is Fahima. I'm um, from the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change and I'm also one of the group leaders that has um, adopted a NAP branch for Move Beyond Coal. And this is my co-MC. Hello everyone, my name is Chris. I'm a 15-year-old school striker and I'm kind of also involved with Move Beyond Coal and I've adopted my local NAB branch as well. And yeah, I'm really excited to see so many people out here today here to tell Whitehaven Coal what they need to be doing. So yeah. Um, and to properly sort of begin, uh, we would like to acknowledge that we all stand here on Gadigal land and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. We also extend our respect and solidarity with the Gomoroi people uh, on whose country Whitehaven has been desecrating for decades. Uh, and we, yeah, we stand in solidarity with um, any First Nations people who are um, gathered here today as well. This was stolen land and sovereignty was never ceded and there is no climate justice without First Nations justice. Yeah, so I completely agree with what Liam said. We need to stand with the First Nations people and the Gomorrah people whose land is being exploited and destroyed by Whitehaven Coal and other fossil fuel companies. So I guess I'll just start with explaining why we're here and what we're here to achieve. As many of you probably know, today is the Whitehaven Coal's AGM or annual, annual general meeting. And Whitehaven Coal is the largest coal-only company in Australia. And they are building some massive fossil fuel projects right now that need to be addressed. Whitehaven Coal are planning not only to extend their coal production, but double it with four new major coal projects. Whoa! Shame! Shame! Coal is the most damaging resource for our climate. And the world's scientists are warning us that coal expansion needs to immediately stop to avoid the worst effects of climate change. Whitehaven Coal have a terrible track record of undermining and exploiting First Nations land and destroying the cultural heritage of that land, trashing the environment. Shame! Most investors who walked past had their heads down, but one man greeted us, smiling and calling, I'm an investor. Fahima replied, Give this man a flyer! <laughs> Thank you, what a legend! <laughs> So, um, yeah, just so for, for some context, right? So, um, Move Beyond Coal launched um, at the end of September with launch parties in Sydney, in Brisbane, in Melbourne, and online. And hundreds and hundreds of ordinary people from all walks of life have together adopted 60 NAP branches around the country with one unifying message, which is not another dollar for Whitehaven Coal. Am I wrong? Yeah, our mission, first of all, is to 
uh, get Whitehaven to stop uh, expanding new coal. We also want to push financial institutions like NAP to stop lending money to new coal projects. But we also have a long-term mission, which is to see Australia phase out coal by 2030. And we have a long, um, long road, long journey ahead of us. And I think it's important that we sort of like form strong relationships with one another and togetherness and you know keep keep the crew together so because i'm a person of faith um if you will indulge me i would like to um for us all to take maybe a moment or two in contemplation or meditation so that um so that we um settle together in the space um we can sort of stand in silence um and do some deep breathing um because I also want to acknowledge that the constant worry about emissions, the constant anxiety about floods, war, it's, it's a tough time and that can take a toll on our, on our minds, our bodies and our souls. So I'd like just to open up a space for us to be emotionally honest with ourselves and um, yeah, just kind of take it in together. As we stood in silence, listening to the breeze, Proxy shareholders went into the meeting. They were going to propose that Whitehaven Coal would not expand and it would spend its windfall profits on ensuring a just transition for workers and a return of capital to the shareholders. But back to the rally. Coal! Don't dig it! Leave it in the ground, it's time to get with it! Coal! Don't dig it! Leave it in the ground, it's time to get with it! Bubbly is a Gomorrah man, a social justice and environmental activist who fights primarily for his ancestral homeland, but all lands that were never ceded across the whole of this continent. Over to you, Bubbly. I've pretty much fought against uh, what happened coal for the last 10, 12 years now with uh, strong people who, you know, um, showed the way for us as younger, you know, Gomorrah people. Um, when the Moors Creek coal mine um, was coming in, you know, they had that planning and uh, we, we, we stood hard and fought against them on numerous occasions out there. But as you see with the uh, Department of Planning and uh, Infrastructure and let's say the local, the state, federal governments, they always seem to go with the proponent. Um, the economic wealth that it generates, it, it always outweighs the social and spiritual connection to our country as Gumroy people, you know, so we, we don't give up, you know, um, that's not within our DNA as Gumroy people, you know, I stand here as a, uh, you know, White Haven Harm, they always boast, um, you know, how many um, Gumroy people that they have working there, you know, they've got a few that fly in and fly out, but, you know, those bootlick and arsenic and blacks, we're not like those, you know, we, we stand up for our country, you know, we, there were 13 sites out there that they built that they destroyed, you know, and the last one was Lord as well, where we had a campaign going there with best return for three or four years, you know, and um, the government still, you know, they sent up the riot squad hit from here in Sydney and they just arrested, you know, people every single day and followed us everywhere and we had camps set up where, you know, Whitehaven, their security guards were following us around, sort of camping, watching us from six in the morning till, you know, the sun went down, but we didn't give a rat's ass about that, you know, we we knew that we had a job to do and we still have a job. You know, I, I became a native title applicant back in 2016 and uh, up until probably four months ago, I was still an applicant. And within that time, you know, um, 
you sort of get the gist of how um, proponents uh, and the government work hand in hand to destroy all Aboriginal culture and heritage across the whole country. Not just Goomeroy country, you know, and White, Whitehaven and uh, let's say Santos who were there as well up, up in Narrabri. They, they obviously talk because the offers that they come at you with are, you know, they put a price on our culture and heritage that is bullshit, you know, offered us $5 each pretty much as Goomeroy people over the next 20 odd years. You know, and I know that they do have the underground mine that's going in, you know, into the east of the Pilliga and um, they're already out there doing testing and stuff like that and digging into that, you know, and it's a very sacred place for Goomeroy people, you know, all around there from Coonabarabra and Baradine, you know, and um, up to Narrabri. So the Laird State Forest is, used to be a part of that, but they actually broke that up with the uh, Camilleroy Highway going through there. Not a lot of people, they just uh, differentiate, but that is a part of the Billigar as well as we call it as Goomeroy people. Now, what we, you know, need and want, you know, uh, is for all people, you know, to uh, raise your level of consciousness and um, there will be a time when you will have to come to Goomeroy country to defend. Um, they do have, uh, you know, new arrest laws and things like that, but the threat of arrest hasn't stopped us in the past and I'm sure that it won't in the future. You know, um, what are you willing to lay down, you know, to, to stop the destruction of country? talk about climate change and things like that. Look, I've been going home. I came to Sydney as a four-year-old, you know, and I've been here for 47 years. So in the time that we were driving home for holidays at the end of the year, we've we seen the change in our country. You know, there are dust plumes from Bogabri to Gunnedah, Gunnedah all the way to Narrabri now from the mines that are there, you know. And so they, they don't really give a, you know, a, I'm not going to swear, so... You know, they don't really care about the, the land, and, and that's a problem. I mean, if you drive from Singleton all the way up there, it's just uh, one big hole in the ground. If you go on a plane, you know, it's just fucking heartbreaking to see that. You know, and the first time we seen it, I used to drive at night, I went in the daytime, you know, we cried. My wife and children in the car because of what we've seen. You know, it affects people, our people, in that way. You know, with your spiritual connection that you have to country, you know, it, it affects you on a different level to other people. We don't talk about the economics of it or, let's say, obviously we talk about our grandchildren, grandchildren, grandchildren. How are they going to be able to maintain their culture on country if it's just one beacon hole? You know, and white over are complicit within that, in everything that they do and say against Aboriginal people, you know, and especially us Goomeroy people, you know, but we, we will go on and we will never stop fighting for our country as Goomeroy people. So I'm glad to see you all out here today and uh, let's get them, eh? Yeah, woo. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Okay, I've got one of the leaders here from Move Beyond Coal. Her name is Manjot. Um, she has been a great speaker in Sydney and has grown up, I think, from school strike era to now. Uh, Manjot, tell us about this Move Beyond Coal. It's a big coalition of groups focusing on coal. It's very well organised. What's the focus for you? Yeah, so Move Beyond Coal is a massive people-powered movement to take on Australia's biggest contribution to the climate crisis, which is our coal. And we're starting by getting finance and funding out of coal. And we're starting with one of Australia's biggest and baddest coal companies, Whitehaven. But we're planning on continuing our movement and continuing to build up the pressure to take on as many 
uh, coal targets and coal companies as we can. So Whitehaven is just the beginning for us. These groups have been working on this for so long, haven't they? And um, it's, I think it's good to coordinate them. Do you see any signs? I mean, the economists say, oh, yes, well, coal is, you know, reaching the end of its life, but that could be another 30 or 40 years future, and gas is certainly on the horizon. So um, do you see any signs that this pressure is working? Even if you're focusing on one project or one company like Adani or Whitehaven, the impact is often uh, tenfold because what happens is uh, like financial institutions, they can't make policies about one company. So they have to go ahead and make policies about funding or insuring coal in general. And we've actually had such a big impact that recently a bunch of um, coal mining CEOs had to try and go to parliament because they were finding that they couldn't get insurance for their projects and so they were asking the government to help them insure their projects which never happens because comp like insurance companies have us have had so much pressure from the community to not insure these projects anymore so a lot of coal companies are self-insuring or just uh, yeah, fighting for scraps of what's left. So I think that's a really good example of how a movement like Move Beyond Coal is able to have an impact beyond just one coal project. Meanwhile, the impact of that coal and gas overseas is absolutely undeniable. It's visible to so many people. And I know you've spoken before about your family in Punjab. And I'd like you to talk a bit about the the reality that we constantly keep missing. We see a few photos of, you know, floods in Pakistan, huge displacement of people, destructions of livelihoods, crops and everything, but then it goes off the news. But can you tell us about that ongoing story? And I want to know how to keep it in mind. The media doesn't really do the job, so how can we keep the effects of the coal being burned in mind? Yeah, so the other day I was having lunch with a uh, lady from my village who moved to Australia and she was talking about how she'd just been overseas, she'd just been back home in India and the heat had been so unbearable. A lot of her like relatives who were school students had to, um, like schools actually closed early because of the heat and she'd never known heat like that before even though she'd grown up in India and she was had spent the time with her parents and her dad is a farmer he works in the fields all day in this crippling heat and she remembered that in the last few days before she left he just seemed like quite bothered by the heat he was really tired um he was finding it a lot harder than normal to be able to spend a full day out in the fields working but she didn't think twice of it she flies back to australia as soon as she lands in the airport she gets a call that her father had a heart attack and passed away. Um, this is someone who's never had heart problems before, never probably been to uh, like an emergency room before, someone who spent their whole life working in the heat. Um, but we know that one of the effects of extreme heat is that it increases um, cardiovascular deaths because of the stress it puts on the body. Um, and so I think that's a really good example of how like families are being torn apart um, by the impacts of heat even in really small and like inconsequential ways where you might not draw the links um, but yeah I think that for me was a really big moment where I was sitting there listening to her tell me about what had happened to her dad and I was like putting together the pieces of everything I've learned about heat waves 
in school or online um, and then putting it together with a story I heard of someone being very ill. Um, and I was like, oh, that's one of the climate impacts that we talk about happening. And it, it's just happened to someone I know. And I think for us in Australia, um, or even when we're living, if you're living in the city and you're removed from climate impacts, the best thing to do to remember the reality is to just listen to the stories of people who are impacted by flooding in Australia um, and listen to the stories of people overseas. Um, yeah, I think the best thing, sometimes rather than taking action, it's more powerful to take the time to listen. Well said. Thank you, Manjot. Do you have anything else to say to our listeners, just to encourage them? This goes to air in Melbourne and Sydney, and a lot of people would like to mo join Movie Beyond Coal because it's so well organised and you can kind of feel included. It's a good thing. It's a solid thing. Tell us about it. Yeah, come join Movie Beyond Coal if you're looking for something to do. Um, we're all about community and art and coming together. You can go to our website movebeyondcoal.com and you can find one of the 60 local groups across the country that's near you and you can take on your local NAB branch and I think the best thing about Move Beyond Coal is that you get to feel the sense of having a very tangible impact because you're having tangible conversations with staff, you're having tangible impacts on a bank and it just feels really good when that bank will go ahead and rule out Whitehaven. Fantastic. Thank you. So that was Manjot Koa yeah. from Move Beyond Coal. Hey. Well. In the spirit of COP27, here is Egypt's most famous singer, Um Khartoum.
day, market forces sent me news that over 20% of shareholders called for Whitehaven Coal not to expand and to spend its windfall profits ensuring a just transition for workers. I was thrilled by this, though I know some listeners will be saying, well, that's not enough. That is only incremental change. We want this business to stop right now. And so I've invited Pablo Brait from Market Forces to talk us through this strategy of shareholder action, because there are a few AGMs coming up where you listeners can take action. So welcome, Pablo. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Viv. <laughs> Tell us first about the huge profits that Whitehaven Coal is making since the Rus um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, well, I mean, not much to say there, really. I mean, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has significantly, you know, has caused a big rise in a lot of uh, prices, uh, particularly fossil fuels. And so as a producer of coal, um, Whitehaven has made record profits last financial year. Even though volumes weren't necessarily up, they slightly down um, because of things like um, COVID labor issues and flooding uh, funnily enough um, but profits yes through the roof I, I believe they were able to pay back all their debt and they had billions to spare you know so this is win describe what a windfall profit really is most listeners won't know what that really means that's right and so they've 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 paid off debt and they've also um started returning in 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 at the scale of hundreds of millions of dollars um capital to shareholders through dividends and through what's called share buyback so they buy back shares from shareholders and reduce the overall pool of shareholders thereby increasing the value of their shares mm, and probably controlling the number of people who who are shareholders or the type of people maybe <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I don't think they can necessarily choose who's willing to participate in the share buybacks. Yeah. Well, this raises the question of this proposal from shareholders, which I think um, market forces had a hand in creating this uh, proposal. How come 20% of people who have shares in a purely coal company um, want it to wind down? And what work did you do beforehand to create this uh, 20%? Yeah. So look, I mean, our role really is just to coordinate shareholders who are interested in putting forward these sorts of resolutions. So, you know, through our supporter networks, we put the call out, um, people who are shareholders sign on. You need to get at least 100 shareholders to have a resolution voted on at, the, at an AGM. And, and you know, we, we beat that in this case of Whitehaven. And so um, this particular resolution called on Whitehaven to publish you know how it will wind down its coal mining operations in line with paris agreement 1.5 degree scenarios and so really at, at the heart of it it's a call for whitehaven to stop putting money stop investing in new thermal coal mines so they have three three new coal mines not all thermal but a mix of of metallurgical coal and thermal coal they have three new coal mine projects um, or expansions um, on the books, plus another possible expansion at Malls Creek. They've got another, um, recently got a license to start exploring in another section. So they're really looking at expanding, um, I think possibly doubling 
their coal production over the next decade. Um, and so what this resolution is saying is, well, is that smart? I mean, even beyond, I mean, obviously it's not smart from a climate science perspective, like no one in the world really benefits from an increase in coal production when we need to start reducing it as, as fast as humanly possible. Um, but even from a shareholder perspective, if you're investing in a new coal mine now, expecting it to operate for decades to come, yeah. are you going to have customers, you know, in that, in that time around, around 80% of Whitehaven's customer base is in countries that have net zero by 2050 and, you know, have signed onto the Paris, you've got Japan, you've got Korea, you've got Taiwan. So, Essentially, you're betting on if you're a shareholder and you're saying, yep, invest billions of dollars in a new coal mine, you're betting on those clients, you're betting on the the coal market to stay strong, which means essentially we've failed to tackle climate change. Right. And so the alternative is the company gets all that money and just gives it back to shareholders as they wind down their operations. Yeah. Um, well, that's what so they are for, for some shareholders, yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. Mm. Well, look, what is Market Force's strategy with banks who in, uh, invest in coal and gas projects and the superannuation companies? That, that affects a lot more of us because all of us have superannuation and they still think that it's a safe place to put them, our money. So how do you talk to them, to the banks and the super companies? Yeah, so all four of Australia's big banks uh, have said, you know, in words, at least, if not in actions, say they support the Paris Agreement, say they support net zero emissions by 2050. They're signed on to 1.5, you know, limiting warming to 1.5 degrees. They all say it, yet they continue to pour billions of dollars into the coffers of fossil fuel companies, coal, oil and gas, that are planning or building new projects. And so this year, um, the Commonwealth Bank AGM has already happened, but the, in mid-December, there's ANZ, there's Westpac, and there's NAB. We have coordinated shareholder resolutions um, for all three of those. And for NAB and Westpac, that's been co-filed by Australian Ethical, the, the ethical investment company, and essentially calling on them to publish, um, well, to, to, to look at, they're funding for new fossil fuel projects and for companies building new projects. So that's really the focus of the resolutions this year is like as a very basic first step, if you're serious about aligning with net zero, with 1.5 degrees with Paris, then you have to stop helping new fossil fuel projects get off the ground. And that's mainly through lending, but it's also through things like bond arranging, um, you know, other kinds of guarantees. And so that's the argument we're making to the banks and that's the argument we make to the their major shareholders in the superannuation funds which is if you want these banks to align with paris then step one stop lending to companies building new fossil fuel projects you feel when you have those discussions do you feel that there's just pushback or are they engaged with you do they really see some mutual path out of this Look, there's a bit of both. Um, again, all super funds, you know, most of them at least, the mainstream ones, claim to take climate change seriously mm -hmm. um, and claim to factor it into their investment decisions. And yet they are still, you know, while there has been quite a bit of shift um, and some have some have started to, to divest, they're still invested. And so it is a complicated argument 
for super funds to make, which is to say to a bank, you should stop lending to Santos or Woodside when that super fund may still hold shares in Santos and Woodside. So, you know, there is, there is a, there is a conflict there. Um, and really it's just about getting that acceptance in the finance sector that step one, no new fossil fuels, you know, they're still not quite, it's like they don't quite want to believe it, you know, that that significant shift is required. Um, and so really that's, that's a first step. And yet you do get the banks, just as an example of what sort of thing the banks do, most banks have a prohibition on lending to new, say, thermal coal projects, or they might call it direct lending, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but corporate lending, so lending to companies building new coal mines is still allowed, is not prohibited by their policy. So they won't lend specifically to a new coal mine, say, but you know, NAB and Westpac, for example, are still, uh, you know, were part of the syndicate that only a couple of years ago loaned to Whitehaven Coal. So for general corporate purposes. Now, what is a what is a company that does nothing but build coal mines going to do with with money? Like, you know, um, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous argument to say, oh, no, we're not lending to new coal mines and that they continue to lend corporate yeah. finance. So, you know, we're really focused on the corporate finance. Um, but yeah, the resolutions themselves this year are about new fossil fuel projects. I would just recommend to listeners to look at your website. It's called Market Forces, but there's a news section and you have just news of what's happening. And you mentioned in that that you've noticed a shift in super funds quietly shifting out of Santos and Woodside. Woodside, Woodside yeah. Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM. Pablo Brait from Market Forces is talking to us about getting super funds to divest from coal. I'd like to take you now to the global picture. Move Beyond Coal in their press release said that $14 trillion has been divested from fossil fuels in the recent time and since divestment has been a thing. And they're demanding that not one more dollar is spent on coal and climate chaos. Could you give us an overview of how money is shifting globally well i think the i think the 14 trillion represents the total number that those companies manage so it's not necessarily 14 trillion that has been taken out of fossil fuels uh -huh. but investors managing 14 trillion worth of dollars have announced some sort of divestment from fossil fuels which is still not to be sneezed at that's like a huge number of investors managing obviously an absolutely huge amount of money um Look, it's it's the same story as it has been for the last few years. We are seeing change. We are seeing shifts, but way too slowly, way too slowly. And as the number one thing, we are still seeing money going into companies and projects that are new, that are expanding fossil fuel use, fossil fuel production or fossil fuel transportation. And that, ju that just has to stop, you know, immediately. And that was one of the things we were saying to Combank at their AGM a couple of weeks ago. It's like this, the resolution was, was not about stopping any, anything, you know, stopping coal burning immediately or anything like that. It was just saying, number one step, stop helping new projects get off the ground. 
so that we've at least got a chance to start reducing emissions um, over the next coming decade. And yeah, it's the same pitch we're making to, to the other three banks in December. I, I found an interesting quote from Aileen Getty, and she's the um, she inherited an oil fortune from the Getty Oil. But she's come into the news just this last week for giving donations to climate emergency action groups, but the most of the most disruptive kind, and they're hitting the media like the people who threw the soup at the Van Gogh painting. And she said, I believe the climate crisis has progressed to the point where we must take disruptive action. Older generations are judging these young people throwing soup at a painting, yet they have stolen their future. And she might say like our family oil billions have stolen their future. What do you think about that sort of desperation and even that sort of money getting behind it? It was interesting. Yeah, look, I mean, as a climate movement that it's going to, that if it's going to succeed in limiting the damage from global warming as much as possible and spreading more justice across the world instead of less, um, we're going to need a broad spectrum of tactics. And so, you know, market forces itself does not undertake, you know, arrestable actions and we engage with the finance sector in a certain way, but the other people, the people on the ground taking nonviolent direct action are playing an absolutely critical role. And there needs to be a strong, you know, radical, I guess, from a tactical perspective, flank to the climate movement. There needs to be something that is scary to these corporations and these governments that we're trying to shift. And that sort of nonviolent action, I think, is really critical to, to being that to being that scary front and i i really i hope that more and more people get behind that because it absolutely is critical yeah well in the our summer season i'm going to play a podcast from britain about the moderate flank and it's about that about the sort of shareholder action the the people like me who hand out pamphlets in the street and, and wave banners and all of that as well as the radical action and i think market forces and move beyond coal are what you might call the moderate flank of the same battle uh, where some activists are sticking themselves to picasso and others are throwing soup at bangkok and i'm really glad that you you think the same way but a lot of people just get so offended by that what do you have to say to them i know plenty of people say oh i don't like this stopping the traffic and in sydney we're having incredible police um charges you know those people who blockaded the sydney tunnel they were taken to court they got off but you know they could have had years in jail what do you say to the people who just all just disapproving of that and can't see the point of it well i mean as jeff sparrow wrote in the guardian recently um if you don't like it then go off and do something else the point is do something i feel that the this argument that that those tactics are damaging, I'm just not convinced because as as the people that do those arrestable tactics say, we've tried the moderate flank. And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying we haven't had successes. We have. And, you know, we're on a trajectory now in Australia where we can see the end of coal in Australia, at least in our own energy system internally. Very, you know, within within 10 years. It's, it's happening, but it's not happening fast enough. We're not getting the shifts. And so I think other things need to be tried. As, and as long as they stick within certain principles of, of nonviolence and not hurting people and 
getting the message across, you know, as clearly as possible, then I'm definitely not going to to criticize from the sidelines um, while people put their bodies on the line. No. And it gets people talking and it gets the media actually giving quite big quotes to those people so that the climate crisis, I know Pablo listeners has been in this for years and years on many ways, community organiser and in many roles. And, and you know, we've tried, we do try everything, but um, the media is actually seeming to give a platform now to those people to say what, why they did it. And I think that's, that's an advance. Absolutely. Anything else, just repeat, repeat to the listeners how they can get involved in this next couple of AGMs coming up for the um, banks? Well, look, the key thing is we need uh, as many investors to vote in favour of these three bank resolutions that are coming up. And so get in touch with your super fund. There is there is no doubt that your super fund and you your own retirement savings will be invested in these big in the big four banks and the big three that are coming up now, ANZ, NAB and Westpac. So it's your money. They need to hear from you that you want them to vote in favour of the market forces resolutions and in favour of the resolution, you know, asking the bank to articulate how it will avoid financing new fossil fuel production, new fossil fuel burning, transportation, yeah. all that stuff. That's the key. Get in touch. Make sure they're going to do it. Okay. So go to make market forces webpage and you find out what the resolution is that you then ring up your uh, super fund or write them a letter send them an email. I want my, um, I'm invested with you in the super fund. Please do not vote. No, d please do vote this way. Is it a, p a positive thing, how to vote or how not? To yes, vote? it's vote yes, basically, for the resolutions. It's 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 not too early to call up your fund and say, vote in favour of the market forces resolutions at the, at the bank AGMs this year, please. I think that's good because a lot of people don't think, well, I'm not an investor. You know, they don't think of themselves as investors, but they are through their super funds. And I think that's a great way that everyone can take a, take a bit of action. Thanks very much, Pablo. Thank you, Viv. <laughs> so that was Pablo Brait from Market Forces. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori kids shine at kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash koori-kids-shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. And now, here's some good news from Western Australia. Environs Kimberley, which is a wonderful group up in Broome, sent me this message. Origin Energy will exit its Kimberley oil and gas interests. Martin Pritchard, director of Environs Kimberley, said, This is a very sensible decision by Origin. The oil and gas industry has never gained a social licence to undertake fracking in the Kimberley. Their carbon emissions, toxic chemical use and landscape-scale damage are incompatible with the natural and cultural values of the region. He said they are signalling to investors that fracking in the Kimberley is not a good investment and will be a stranded asset in the future. However, at the AGM... Origins Chair Scott Perkins said the CSIRO says fracking is safe in some circumstances. Here he is at his AGM. 
Did Origin know about the significant opposition to fracking in the Kimberley's Canning Basin before going into the joint venture with Bureau Energy? And in, in hindsight, do you think it was a bad move given the loss incurred on the failed Kaurajong gas well? These permits are currently part of the strategic review uh, and our intention is to, to exit these permits over time. Um, our decision to, to, to co-invest alongside Buru as the operator of those, uh, of those activities was, we think, an entirely appropriate one. Third point I'd make is, as with the Northern Territory uh, scientific study supported by the CSIRO into the safety of fracking, we think there is ample ample scientifically based evidence to support the safety of fracking in appropriate circumstances. The Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory has been hotly defended by First Nations people and environmentalists. Origin Energy has withdrawn there, although it has sold its exploration interests to Tambaran Resources, which the ABC calls a gas junior. With 10 new offshore areas across Australia approved for oil and gas exploration in August, I don't think we can go home yet. However, the Climate Council's Andrew Stock, who used to be an Origin ex executive, welcomed the move. He said, Origin's withdrawal from Beetaloo shows, quote, the company recognises the crumbling case for new gas exploration in Australia. It's economically risky and has cost origin shareholders millions. End of quote. And I notice that the climate wrecking impact of the gas once it's brought up, even in the fugitive emissions in transit, is not front of mind for these people. And that's why the efforts of the citizen campaigners we heard today and Pablo from Market Forces need you to get behind them. Shareholders should not be walking into AGMs thinking climate change floods in Lismore and Pakistan, killer heat waves in India and under the sea have nothing to do with where they've invested. That's just my opinion. Next week, Carly will present the show, and I'll be away on holiday. But COP27 in Egypt is on right now. And here's a comment from Naomi Klein. This will be followed by one from Ineza Grace in Rwanda. Because it's the African COP, she is really keen for loss and damage to be addressed once and for all. She's an eco-feminist and environmental engineer. She believes in the sustainability of ecosystems and the power of women to lead the change. Links to their full talks will be in the show notes. I'm Naomi Klein, senior contributing writer at The Intercept and co-director of the Centre for Climate Justice at the University of British Columbia. Eleven years ago, Cairo's Tahrir Square captured the world's imagination with a hopeful youth-led movement for liberation and democracy. Day after day, night after night, young people held the square, refusing to leave until their country was transformed. They turned Tahrir into a site of radical participatory democracy where they denounced corruption and systemic torture. They faced down police, risked their lives, and vowed to avenge their murdered friends. Eventually, they built enough power, as you saw, to topple Hosni Mubarak, the dictator who had ruled Egypt for three brutal decades. The spirit of Tahrir coursed with promise and it leapt across borders. 
It helped inspire other youth-led movements in Europe and North America, including Occupy Wall Street, which in turn helped birth a new anti-capitalist and eco-socialist politic. In fact, you can draw a pretty straight line from Tahrir to Occupy to Bernie to AOC and the Sunrise Movement calling for a Green New Deal. Inspiration is a tough thing to measure, but there can be no doubt that the world owes the youth of Tahrir a debt of gratitude. But inside Egypt, the story did not end well. Elections came before the youth movement had time to coalesce around an electoral force, and inside that vacuum, the Muslim Brotherhood won power at the ballot box. They didn't deliver on the changes for which young Egyptians had risked their lives. And so they took to the streets again. And in the discontent, the military saw its opening. In 2013, it staged a coup, placing in power General Abdul Fattah el-Sisi. Later, he traded in his uniform for a dark business suit, ran for president in sham elections, and has been in power ever since. In Egypt today, much of civil society, including environmental activism, is criminalized. Human rights activists, journalists, and academics are routinely arrested. Critical news sites are blocked, and tens of thousands of political prisoners languish behind bars, including iconic voices uh, of that hopeful Arab Spring uprising, like Ala Abed al-Fatah, who we heard at the end of that clip. This is the highly repressive context in which a different United Nations climate summit known as COP27. Tens of thousands of delegates will attend, including many youth activists, but this time don't expect any unruly protests. This will be a highly contained, controlled and orchestrated summit, unprecedented in its constraints. Meanwhile, the Egyptian activists who once inspired the world are not able to attend at all. Many, like Aleh, are in prison. Others are in exile. And for those who are not, the risks of disrupting this kind of green PR show will simply be too high. Today's event is about the ethics of holding a climate summit under such a repressive regime, a cop in a cop state. We're going to ask whether Egypt's political prisoners are getting the solidarity they, they deserve from the international climate movement. Inside the climate justice movement, we often talk about needing to build a politic that does not create sacrifice zones, places and people who get trampled in the name of getting a law passed or a deal done. Yet many Egyptians today tell us that they feel they have become the new sacrifice zone, that their imprisoned loved ones are being sacrificed in the name of these negotiations. Ineza Grace in Rwanda. So I am part of the, um, I'm part of the, Lost and Dimensions Coalition. And we are a coalition of the youth from the global north and the global south. And most of our members are also from Africa. And we are part of the generation that we do have um, what I can call like a test of, uh, or like a test, like that kind of a thing that resulted from uh, the past mistake of the global process and climate action. Because we are a generation that are living the consequences of what is happening in, when we are not having cl concrete climate action. So we are living the, um, the consequences of the long denial of the climate change negative impact that is referred to loss and damage in, in the world. We are also living in the era where we are having the consequence of the inaccessibility of the climate finance for most of our countries in order to have um, robust climate action. We are also living in the era where we are 
living the consequence of all the false promises that we've been giving out that the world is going to emit and have uh, like reduce the um, the emission to 1.5 uh, to two with the effort to 1.5 all of those fake promises that have been promised um, has never been accomplished and we are the generation that is kind of living in the in the hot spot if I if I would say but at the end of the day, we are also a generation that does not want to sit down and just uh, continue to be uh, victims. That's why we came out to uh, bring uh, bring ourselves together and paint what we are calling as a, what need to be um, the solidarity uh, in terms of climate action. We are calling for uh, for this COP twenty seven uh, to be able to stand on, especially the most. Uh, like the most pain that we are feeling, which is the negative impact of climate change, loss and damage. So we want this COP to be able to address the impact of loss and damage. And this will be addressed uh, by giving, um, by unlocking the finance to address loss and damage. And this finance need to be new, additional to the already existing uh, finances because loss and damage finance is different for mitigation, it's different for adaptation or any kind of uh, other existing um, finance mechanism. And we also want, uh, we also want the COP27 to also unlock the finance for climate, especially the accessibility modality, because now we are aware that even the finance that is available is not really accessible, especially for African countries, especially for vulnerable um, vulnerable countries, because it's already hard. It's like they're telling you that um, your problem is there, we have an answer, but even to unlock the answer, you need the finance, but the finance for you to get it is like oh no you know you need to have a b c d e to be able to be able to conduct your answer which which for me i think is not fair and the other thing i'm remote we are hoping for cop 27 is to be able to deliver uh, the emission reduction ambition because now especially for uh, africa continent we already know that even one point one or 1.2 we are already uh, is already devastating for our community so we are hoping that this cop 27 um, will be having a strong narration on reduction reduction of uh, global emission because we cannot survive there's no way you can survive to um 1.1 or 1.2 so while keeping the efforts to make the world be at three degree or two degree why can't we all act together um uh, and then reduce the emission and the other thing I'm looking forward to, um, in a sense, is also the ability to really be reminded in general that Africa is a home of solution. Africa is a home of homegrown solution. And most of the solution that we're looking forward to are also relying into the grassroots youth and women who are actors in their community. Um, that will be what I will share. And I really look forward to be um, in the looking forward to this session. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Climate Action Radio Show. If you want more details about stopping coal investments, find the show notes at 3CR Climate Action Show. A big thanks to all the people at Move Beyond Coal who turned up at the Whitehaven Annual General Meeting at the Mint in Sydney. A special thanks to the speakers, Fahima Bubbly. Uh, a young man, a 15-year-old school striker, and Manjot. Also thanks to Pablo from Market Forces for explaining the strategy behind these shareholder actions, which are moving trillions, but not fast enough, as he says. Please take just a first step yourself. 
by getting your super company to vote yes to the market forces proposals at the upcoming AGMs for ANZ, NAB and Westpac banks. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck. This is coal. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasurer. be scared. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show. Hi, my name's Larissa Baldwin and I'm the new CEO of GetUp. I grew up in Lismore in northern New South Wales, um, where we are also traditional owners. I'm a Wijewai woman. Ever since I was really young, I was really involved in politics. The history of my family as Aboriginal political campaigners. Over 80 years, my great-grandfather's walked off country to set up against the assimilation movement. They're really involved in the original day of mourning. In those days, sending around petitions by hand. So the role of collective action has always been a big part of my upbringing. I first took action with GetUp, as many people do, as a volunteer on an election campaign, handing out how to votes in Queensland. The marriage equality calls, I remember doing lots and lots of those calls for GetUp. And I started as a campaigner once I left SEED in, I think, 2018, moving in a way that leads with communities first, with First Nations people particularly, we were able to build this really successful model. Good campaigning is not about saying what's popular, it's about making popular what needs to be said, and, and really that happens here at GetUp. Over the next five years, the next decade, we need to see incredible um, sufficient climate action right across the country. When you talk about climate justice and really about the communities that are going to be impacted, we've seen the largest natural disaster in history in terms of the floods, that is only going to get bigger and impact more people. So how do we deal as a country um, with this level of disasters when we don't have the political will to make the change that we need to see? Things like the treaty and truth-telling, um, when we look about representation for First Nations people, those opportunities don't come around in every generation. They don't even come around every other generation. So Get Up as an organisation and solidarity um, has always been a big part in how we move substantive First Nations justice forward in this country. Going out into the community and asking what are the solutions here and really pushing forward for those things and putting the power behind them. Just changing government isn't going to change everything that we need. It's not going to deal with the worsening climate crisis that is on our doorstep, literally. We need whole system change here. There is more need now than ever to have an organisation like GetUp. I think everyone should be getting on board with us, getting involved in our campaigns. Uh, the more people that get involved, the better campaigns we run. And let's see where we can take this.